I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Zach Harris. He's the Vice President of Marketing for the Water Portfolio at PepsiCo Beverages North America. On the show today, we talk about the water portfolio. How do you brand water? We talk about Bubbly and their new launch of Bubbly Bounce, which is a carbonated water beverage with a kick of caffeine. We talk about Life Water, which is a personal favorite of mine, as well as Aquafina. We also hit on purpose and what it looks like and feels like to the brands within the water portfolio at PepsiCo. And then we talk quite a bit about mentorship, leadership, and bringing your full self to work every day. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Zach Harris. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. I hear you have a lot of doctors in your family, and somehow you found your way to marketing. What what, what is that about? (laughs) So yes, both my father and my brother are doctors. And let me just first say, I have the utmost respect for anyone in the profession. Um, But I could tell from an early age that some people want to be like their parents. And, And I do in many respects. But when you can't stand the sight of blood, I knew that doctors and the medical profession was not for me. And you know, my dad would put in a VCR back in the day to, to prep for surgeries and would watch it on a TV. And my brother would come into the room and was fascinated by it. And I would walk into the room thinking he was watching TV and see that he's prepping for a surgery. And I would literally run out of the room. So I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up when I was about eight years old, but I could cross off doctors you know, right away. But it is very, it is very handy to have doctors in your family and to have friends as doctors. It just was not for me. It's funny that like the story about your dad, you know, watching or prepping for surgeries. My, my mom was not a doctor, but she was in the medical field and for continuing education credits, she would do the same thing. Like they would watch like a surgery or, or something of that nature. Um, and for whatever reason, we would do it while we were eating dinner. And it was the most disgusting thing ever. But you're right. Like people either have like a a yes to blood or no to blood kind of reaction. And I was in the, okay, I'm okay with this, but it's a little gross. It's funny you bring that up. 
but it, to your point, man, is it really helpful to have a doctor or somebody in the healthcare industry in your family, especially if you get sick or you need to navigate the healthcare system. It's hugely helpful. Definitely. And especially even if it's not like surgery, you would think that they know everything about medicine whatsoever. So the range of questions that they get is is pretty spectacular. And the all hours of the night that they get calls from friends and family about any topic related to medicine, I, I find it comical uh, because they don't have all the answers, but it, it's a very respected role for someone to be in the family. I actually, like, historically, I've worked out with a number of doctors in, in the last place that I lived. And uh, this one woman was a pediatrician, and we would always ask her about our ailments. And she was like, well, I don't know. You'd have to shrink by, like, three feet, and then I could tell you what the issue is. Uh, <laughs> so Anyway, it's funny. We could talk about healthcare all day long, but let's talk about your path and your path to becoming the VP of marketing for the water portfolio at PepsiCo. When did you get started at PepsiCo and marketing and what's been your journey? I actually have been at PepsiCo my entire career outside of a, a college internship. And actually, my, my first internship was at PepsiCo. So I have been at PepsiCo full time since 2005 in various roles. And I would say that uh, what's really interesting is it's somewhat a full circle story. My first job right out of college was working on the Aquafina brand team, which was the water portfolio in 2005. So I began my career uh, and 16 years later, I am running that business. So it's really exciting for me to see A, how the landscape has changed, B, how my experience has changed. But it's always fun to, to come back to something that you worked on right out of college. I've interviewed a couple of your colleagues at, on the PepsiCo side, and there is like this trend of people spending a long, a number of years at PepsiCo, like what's in the water, so to speak, <laughs> there. Well, there's a lot in our water, so, it, it, and it's all positive. But, you know, what I would like to think about is, you know, while you're working at PepsiCo for, for me for 16 years, the types of roles that I've had it's as if you could potentially be working on at, at different companies. So I've had brand management roles where I've worked very closely on the Mountain Dew brand. I've worked on long-term innovation on, on water brands. I've worked in our sports department, you know, running our NFL relationship, which is the largest uh, partnership that PepsiCo has. And then I've actually, you know, taken on leadership roles where I've overseen our entire field marketing organization. I've taken on cross-functional roles. So while I've been at PepsiCo for 16 years, the types of experiences that I've gotten in each role is very different. And so it's new challenges that keep me going. It's, you know, that competitive spirit that we all have at PepsiCo, you know, to keep on winning. The people are great. And the amount of responsibility that I've had literally from my internship, uh, my college internship to today as a vice president is just something that that I love about the company. I'm just curious, was your journey continuous within marketing or did you ever zigzag at all across different roles? Just curious how it, how it happened for you. I know it's different for everyone. For me, I, I've mainly been in marketing, various roles. That said, more recently in my career, I took on a few different types of experiences, cross-functional experiences. I did do an experience in a role in sales where I oversaw our allied brands, which are all the brands that we distribute but don't own, right? So I'm not in charge of the marketing, but I am in charge of the execution and the sales tactics uh, to drive those brands' growth. And then I was also the VP GM of our ambient juice business right before this water roll which had, you know, P&L responsibility as well as both marketing, while mainly marketing, also some sales and, and financial aspects to it. So most of my career growing up was your traditional brand management, innovation, consumer engagement type roles. And then most recently, before coming back to the water role, I definitely had some cross-functional experiences in sales and from a GM perspective. Just having a broad perspective helps. And just curious, you're almost like coming back home, like you said, starting in water and back to water. Did the experiences along the way help prepare you for this broader kind of portfolio view? How do you think about that? Definitely. The way I, the way I think about it over my career is, is these different experiences that you get, the different roles that you're in, all add up for situations that you're in, whether you know it or 
or you don't really know it, whether you're prepared for it or you're not really prepared for what comes, the experiences that you get along the way are invaluable to help you make decisions and to help lead a team. So, you know, there are different roles that I've been in that are growth oriented. We're all growth oriented, but some businesses have been a turnaround situation versus a growth situation from managing a team, managing a small team, managing a team of 75 all across the country. The the skills that I learn in those different types of roles and in those types of different situations are different. And you never know in any given situation which experience you're going to need to draw on from the past to help you in the future. And then the last piece I would say is this informal network has been extremely, extremely important. So as you grow literally out of college to to the position that I'm in now, the people along the way, not only are they great people and great individuals that have become friends, but you create this network where you can bounce ideas off of each other. You can go to them with favors. You can build these relationships inside the office as well as outside of the office that really help you in your current role. Between the experiences that you get, the situations you're put in, and the people that you meet, those all have prepared me for for the role that I'm in today. Well, you talk about people, and I know our last conversation where we were just getting to know each other, I mean, you had a passion for leadership and mentorship and trying to help cultivate that next generation of marketers. Can you tell me and, and listeners a little bit more about that, like how you approach it? This is definitely a passion of mine. When your brother and your father are doctors, you can't really turn to them to ask uh, opinions, or you could from a marketing standpoint, but you might not get the best decisions. So, you know, from a career standpoint, I've always had mentors, and I believe in mentors that either you choose or they choose. I'm more into the informal mentoring versus, you know, assigned a mentor. And throughout my career, there were always people that believed in me. They always gave me more responsibility than maybe I thought I deserved. They always took me to the side and said, great job, but here's here's a different way of approaching this, or or here's another way you could do it. And I always relied on that informal mentoring network to get better, to get better as a marketer, to get better as a leader. And so for someone who's been at the company for 16 years and I literally started as an entry-level position. I've been in the next generation's shoes. And so while the times have changed, definitely from the time that I was starting out as an analyst, some of the problems and some of the challenges and more so some of the questions about career and you know how would you handle things have definitely not changed. So I really love mentorship and it's my time to give back and it's my time to cultivate the next generation not only because I have, I would say, a broader view in terms of helping and guiding them, but I also learn a lot from them, right? So it goes both ways. And so I think that's really important in terms of what I get out of them and what they're looking for out of their job and how to keep them motivated. But for me, mentorship is finding those people that you connect with, giving them advice. And it's not all rosy. It's not all advice like, you are awesome, right? You need to basically give them advice and and give them opportunities that they can work on to develop into better leaders. You know, one area that that more recently I've I've spent some time focusing on is the LGBTQ plus community. As someone who's who's a gay male, who's a leader in our organization, I think it's been really important to be visible to that community and also to showcase that no matter your background, no matter your beliefs, you, you can get to a leadership position. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years focused in that area and just making sure that I'm available if there are questions, whether it's career, whether it's life. Because once again, not only does it go both ways, but it's something that I feel is an obligation, but it's also a privilege to be able to do that. And it's also a passion point of mine. So it's something that I I don't view as after hours. I view this as part of my job and as part of a, being a leader, uh, making sure you're giving back and also cultivating the next generation and, and learning from them as well. I, I love your passion for it and you can just hear it <laughs> come through. But to your point about just being a visible example of the community that you're in as well, I think I, I just want to underscore that because it, it's so important in many facets of 
society right now. And so thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Honestly, I I looked at myself and when I was 22 and evolving in the organization and, you know, you look to leaders to see if you see something in them that you see in yourself. And it took me some time to also realize that and also realize it's not just leading the water portfolio, right? As, As a leader of this great company, it's really about giving back cultivating this talent, showing them that they can show up and bring their true self to work. And I think that's really, really important, especially in these times to reinforce that, to be a living example of that and be there in in tough times and not saying you're going to judge them or this is part of a performance review or anything like that. Just be there as a human and be there to understand what they're going through and to, to talk to them and it's one of the more fulfilling parts of my job. We've hit on this topic a couple of times in in the show with various guests, but um, the thing that stands out to me is like the more people feel safe, trusted, the ability to be your own, bring your own self, your own real self to work every day, the more impassioned they are, the better work they (laughs) deliver, a much better work experience for all involved. The way I think about it is, isn't it hard not to be yourself? And the amount of time it takes or the amount of thinking that goes into it. Now, there are definitely times you need to, depending on your audience, act professional and things like that. But just think about how difficult it is if you're a junior talent and you have to think about how you want to be portrayed or, or what you can or can't do you know, at work. And that's why we really encourage at PepsiCo, being your true self, being authentic to who you are, bringing your whole self to work, not only does that make it easier on you, but to your point, the work is better. The work is better when you have diverse perspectives and the work is better when you have a motivated talent pool who is really excited and is really motivated by their work. Well, let's talk about water and how in the world do you market water? Like, how do you brand water? It's, a, it's actually a question that this is the this is a question where where doctors, lawyers, uh, all my friends ask the same question. So it's really interesting when I when I tell people a that I started on Aquafina and then now this role, it's like, what does that mean? How how, how do you brand water? And and so the way I look at it is, it is such an awesome opportunity. So when you think about water, it's a category that everyone drinks. It doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter socioeconomic class, doesn't matter where you live, people universally drink water. And so the question then is, if everyone's drinking water, and some people think it's a commodity, or some people think they just are buying on price, you have to brand water in order to create loyalty with a consumer base. And it's always, in my, in my opinion, you need to start with the consumer and understand what consumers are looking for and how you can really build on consumer preferences and build that loyalty and that emotional and functional connection with consumers. So I think out of all categories, you know, regardless of, of industry, water is such an interesting one in terms of how do you convince consumers to to buy water? They know they need to drink it, but do they need to buy it? And then therefore, there are so many water brands out there and so many different types of water. But at the same time, when you talk to consumers, some people are like, it's just water. And so the role of a brand is really bringing people to want to buy your product and want to buy your brand. And there's whether it's functional reasons, whether there's innovation, or whether there's an emotional attachment that drives loyalty. That's why I'm so excited about this role and this opportunity and challenge in terms of water. And in your portfolio, like you said, you've got Aquafina, you've got Life Water, and Bubbly. You've got three different water products in your portfolio. Like If I look at them as a marketer, I can see potential different market objectives, obviously some positioning differences depending on, you know, especially when you think about bubbly versus uh, life water and Aquafina. But 
how do you think about the marketing objectives for the portfolio of brands that, and how they have to play? And what's kind of the vision behind that? I always start with the consumer, right? I think, as I just said, the consumer needs to be at the center of everything that, that we do. And once again, as, as water is a very diverse landscape and it is a very different landscape than other categories, given there are a lot of sub segments and, and things like that, the vision is really to, to meet consumers where they are and where they're going. Uh, we are definitely the category where there's growth due to health and wellness uh, trends. And so for us, it's how do you capture the, the most users, the most consumers, and how do you, you know, build brand affinity with them? So of course, there are our business objectives, right, in terms of, you know, sales growth and, and making sure we're leading uh, category growth. And we are doing that with, with our brands. But it's really about positioning in the portfolio and how do you have Aquafina and LifeWater and Bubbly? Obviously, there are some product differences between the three different brands that we have. But from a marketing standpoint, the levers in which we use the tactics and the strategies are different for each brand, which is exciting to have a portfolio in terms of how do you market them? Who are you targeting and who is the consumer? And then how do you make sure you build uh, compelling marketing plans to build that brand loyalty? You're probably going to nail me in your segmentation or something as soon as I open my mouth. But like nothing against Aquafina. It's been around for a long time and is very successful. But when LifeWater came out, the artistry of the bottle itself drew me right in. Like, <laughs> And when I have an option, I don't know why I just gravitate towards the bottle. And I know that there's artists that are represented in the label and, and, and that it changes. So there's some variety there. But I, I, I honestly, I'm, I don't know if you think about it, like, is the packaging and the uh, emotional appeal of like what it says about me to carry that bottle around versus a different one, that seems like it's wrapped up into this. So it's not just functional, it's like an emotional attachment, what the product says about me. That's right, right? From a, from a branding standpoint, water and, and so take life water, for example, right? In, in our premium bottled water segment. LifeWater, you need to convince consumers, right, that, that this is the bottle that they want to be seen holding, right? Especially given a lot of our products are in our single serve bottles. And, and the occasion is a lot of them bring their bottled water with them everywhere they're going around day. And so, so when you think about it, it's what is the function functionality, right? We have, uh, we're pH balanced, we have electrolytes for taste. And then also, is there an emotional connection? So yes, when you start thinking about brand purpose and you start thinking about how that manifests itself, you start thinking about what does the brand stand for? And so, yes, on the surface, you could say LifeWater has very, you know, consumers say, oh, I love the packaging or it's beautiful. It's like art, right? But really what the brand stands for and the brand purpose is, is all about inspiring creativity, right? So, yes, I would say our packaging is is one manifestation of that. And the way we bring it to life and the different artists we have, there's a story behind the different artists that we've we've had in the past and will continue in the future. But yeah, when you're at Shelf, you need a package and a bottle design that speaks to a consumer and also grabs your attention. So I'm very happy to say, to hear you that you, you like the package. Yeah, I, I do. And I, I guess it says more about myself. And, and I also, I mean, when you say inspiring creativity, that resonates and um, uh, something that's important to me. So good job. <laughs> I, I, or maybe I should say I, good job for me finding the product too. I, I don't know. It, it, good job to both of us. Well, you talk about purpose and purpose-driven marketing, but I really like how you talk about it because it's it's more organic than some people out in the marketplace today are talking about purpose. And what I mean by organic, maybe maybe it's authentic. Because I've heard you use that word before in our in conversation with me. When you think about purpose, what does it what does that mean, and how does it really matter in, in relation to the products that you're you're making? Sure. So you know how I talked about there's functional attributes of a brand, there's emotional attributes of a brand. How you really connect with consumers in an authentic and organic way is really important. I think today, no matter what category you're in, no matter what industry you're in. Consumers are extremely savvy. So to your point, in terms of you, you can't just say this is what we stand for. 
and not really follow through on that. So for us, it's it's really grounded in the consumer. It's really grounded in how is this brand different than others out there? And how do we take that consumer empathy and take that consumer insight and turn it into action, right? Because I think purpose, just saying things is, is one thing. But, you know, when we say inspire creativity for LifeWater and how, how do we do that and advancing creativity through brand purpose, we have to stand behind that, right? And we need to do things that that really speak to it because I think consumers, to your, to your point, purpose is, is one of those buzzwords that a lot of people are talking about. But I've seen a lot of a lot of brand purpose go wrong when there's no action behind it. So for us, whether it was, you know, our second series, we had women in the arts, right? So we know that over 50% of visual arts are, are women. And yet their work makes up less than 5% of the art that are in permanent collections. So how do we shine a spotlight on that, right? How do we make sure that those women designers are on our bottles because when you have so many bottles out in the marketplace, that does matter. We talk a lot about diversity in design. We talk about bringing arts and inspiring creativity back to schools, right? So we had a commitment in terms of how many, uh, you know, reaching 10 million students through school and community beautification projects, right? And so our commitment, it's its something that you need, you know, I like the word commitment as it, as it relates to brand purpose. Because you need to commit, you need to commit as a brand and you need to have actions. And you'll see in 2021, we have a, we have a great, great manifestation of that because once again, you can't just do it one time. You need to, if this is what the brand stands for, you constantly need to evolve and you need to, you know, make sure you're resonating with your consumer. And that brand purpose is something that when there are those people that say water is a commodity, there's others that are saying, no. This brand speaks to me and what this brand is doing, the actions that this brand is doing is something that I can get behind. It's something that I want to be seen with. And so on LifeWater, especially in this premium water space, it is more and more important than ever that we have a brand. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Purpose that consumers rally behind are proud to be seeing and from an inspired creativity standpoint that we do it in multiple touch points we are committed multiple years so this is not a, a one and done as i would say and, and that's just you know on LifeWater in particular and we do it on bubbly as well in a di- in a very different way the thing that i take away is that the purpose is crafted uh with the product and what i mean by that is to your point like whatever you're doing on bubbly is very going to just naturally be different than what you're doing on life water or aquafina etc because the purpose of those products is different in your portfolio and you need to find what's authentic to deliver to your point for many years across many different touch points so that's a great great way to think about purpose and i think a motivating way to think about purpose that that's connected to business results too you know, at the end of the day, we're marketers and we do have to deliver the results to the business as well. The the way to drive sales, right, is through through this brand loyalty, through reaching consumers in many different ways, but resonating with them. And so that, you know, for Bubbly, right, if you think about the Bubbly brand, our, our beloved sparkling water brand, right, it's fun, it's colorful, it's smiles, it's 
everything, especially today, that the consumers need. We don't take ourselves too seriously and we're playful. And this whole notion for Bubbly is about promoting inclusivity. And the things that we've done, whether it be in the LGBTQ plus community, through different pride activations, through year-long support of that community that we've done year over year. What excites me as a marketer is A, how do we how do we up our game? How do we how do we have that commitment but show up differently in order to to continue to to build that emotional resonance? And then also, how does that also come to to drive sales, right? And so when you start standing for something and you start committing to something and you start believing in something, that is very powerful. And that that drives sales as well. Let's switch to Bubbly a little bit. You've got a, a big announcement that you recently made. You've got Bubbly Bounce, which is carbonated water with a caffeine kick. That's my my summation on it. Um, how's the brand launch going or how's the you know the product extension going? It's going great. We're off to a great start. And once again, Bubbly Bounce, it's our first line extension off of the Bubbly brand. So it has everything that you know and you love about Bubbly, right? So no sweeteners, no calories, all smiles is what we talk about. But it has that that kick of caffeine. And so when you start thinking about what consumers are looking for, they, they are looking for more from their water. They're looking for more benefits from their water while obviously needing to deliver on the taste. And so we always start thinking about the consumer first and we always think about innovation and what are the unmet needs or, or what are consumers looking for? And as, as we've heard, consumers are definitely looking for more added benefits. Caffeine is, is one of those. Everyone feels that they need a little bit of caffeine, right? And so this is in response to consumer who are looking for that. And what I, what I love about Bubbly Bounce is that it still is part of the, it's obviously still part of the bubbly family. So it's got the bright colors. It has the interesting sayings on the tabs that are more in line with the the kick of caffeine. So you definitely have a few different phrases, but it's it still ladders up to the same idea in terms of getting people to crack a smile. And, you know, we, we of course, there was only one way to introduce bubbly bounce, and, and that was to bring our friend. Uh, our friend Michael Buble back, who's been a great brand ambassador. Unfortunately, he thinks the brand is called Buble and Buble Bounce, actually, not even Bounce. And so, I mean, after after trying to tell him that as much as he loves the product uh, and, and as charming as he is, it's actually Bubbly Bounce, we had fun with it. And, and I think what consumers are looking for are, are fun ways to to engage with brands. And, you know, we've worked with Michael for, for several years now and it it's playful. It aligns with what the brand's about. It's, it's fun. It's upbeat. And, and Michael brings all of his charisma and uh, you know, it's a fun campaign to get to see, see through and uh, while still talking about the functional benefit. I have a confession to make that like ahead of ahead of uh, us launching the recording today, I did have to practice to make sure I was not going to say buble bounce <laughs> because I do love those commercials and um and they're so well executed. Uh, and when you're launching a new brand, right? Like it's a focus originally, I think the, the brand launch campaign, just getting the name and, and making sure you know how to pronounce it, right? Little things are highly, highly, highly important. Man, you couldn't have planned a better spokesperson uh, for for Bubbly. Yeah, he's he's been great, and we've used him, you know, since we had a Super Bowl spot with him, and we brought him back again, and then we just had our, our Soda Stream launch of of Bubbly Drops, and and once again leveraging Michael. He's a great spokesperson, but he's just a great person, and he he has fun with it, and and, and we have fun with it, and it's a great campaign, and. You know, it drives awareness of the Bubbly brand. It's still only a few years old. So people definitely, whether they take it away that it's called Buble or Bubbly, they know what the brand is. And so it's within our fun ethos and inclusivity and, and you know, reaching reaching the masses, but in a fun and playful way, which is what we need to do in today's time. I love it. And I've, I've had a chance to sample the product and it, it's really good. So not that you need me to endorse it, but it's good. I, Definitely like the, I think it's the berry flavor was my favorite. Triple berry. Triple berry. Yes, triple, triple berry. berry. Yeah. 
that's my favorite as well. I don't want to call out another your competitor brand, but I I drink diet sodas from time to time, and it just made me feel a little better about myself knowing I was drinking <laughs> bubbly bounce uh, with less 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 stuff in it. Yeah, and I think bubbly bounce, you know, it has that kick of caffeine. It has the flavor. It has the bubbles. People love bubbles, right? And so people love sparkling drinks. And so bubbly bounce, bubbly is delivering on that as well. And bubbly bounce, we have you know, new flavors, new combo flavors that, you know, with a kick of caffeine is the best addition, the first addition uh, and, and a great addition to our lineup. One of the things I, I want to switch gears and one of the things I love to do is to get to know you a little bit better. We talked, we, we know you come from a family of doctors, <laughs> but I want to, I want to dig a little deeper. And one of my favorite questions to ask is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? There are many. There's one interesting thing that, you know, I, I kind of fell into growing up. So this is not PepsiCo related, uh, but this is, it, it is pretty interesting. So I grew up outside of Massachusetts, in Massachusetts, outside of Boston in a suburb called Sharon, Massachusetts. And we had a really good high school tennis team. Not many schools in the area were focused on tennis. They had basketball and football. But, you know, in Sharon, uh, we had a, a great legacy of having, um, you know, a great tennis team. And I, my brother played, uh, he's five years older, played number one singles and actually went on to play division one. Um, tennis. I play tennis, you know, three or four days a week for the entire year. So tennis in Sharon was a, a full year, right? Some some high school athletes played multiple sports, but, you know, we would play off season as well. And we actually had a streak that we hated to talk about because there was a lot of pressure for us, but we were undefeated in league play for 17 years. So if I remember correctly, it was 274 straight league matches that we won. And so it was such an honor to be part of that team. A, we were extremely close with one another, but it's interesting because you grow up and, and I would watch my brother's matches and then I was be I was playing and there were there were a couple of things that that really defined me in terms of playing tennis. Um, and I still have a love for the sport. But one, this whole notion of performing under pressure. Every single match, everyone was out to get Sharon. And so we had to come prepared because they wanted to be the team that broke the streak. And so not many teams go 16 and 0 for 17, you know, straight years. So there was a perform under pressure. You know, there was an aspect of pride. So, you know, there was an aspect of pride about being on that team. There was an aspect of training and hard work pays off. And then there was this aspect of like, finding the role that helps the team the best, right? And so I would play potentially first doubles in some matches. And then my senior year, I moved to second singles. And so it was really about, it wasn't about me. It was about helping the team win. And so, you know, what was the best role to do that? And then finally, this whole kind of comes back to mentorship. But this whole idea of, I, I took on this like second coach mentality, right? Having having watched four years before my high school years, watching my brother, you know, and almost going to every match of his, as well as playing, I, I became a second coach and, you know, really trying to help the players just, we want to have fun, but we definitely want to win. So it, it's one of those experiences that, um, and I, I will say, uh, while my four years, we did not break the streak, we continued the streak. So, <laughs> Good job. so I was very proud of that. So we, yeah, that, that you never wanted to be the team that, that lost that one, uh, that one match. So I was very, uh, very proud of that, about that. But when you start thinking about leadership and you start thinking about even how to be able to perform under pressure, to be able to pride in what you do to be able to figure out what helps the team best and that you don't always need to be the best player, but find the role that you're good at and help the greater good. And then this mentorship and coach and, you know, the freshmen on the team who were feeling pressure when you were the senior, like how, how do you welcome them? And so that was just one experience. And, and it was definitely a passion of mine playing tennis. I still play tennis a little bit, not nearly as much as I, as I wish I, you know, continue to do, but you know, being a part of the Sharon tennis team and continuing, continuing the streak uh, was definitely an experience that that helped define me in, in everything that I do from then on. 
I mean, I thought that the Patriots and Tom Brady were dominant. I did not know the story of the Sharon tennis team. So now I know what true dominance looks like in New England. <laughs> well, as, <laughs> as a season ticket holder of the Patriots, I'm still okay with them being dominant as well. <laughs> if, if they want to get more, uh, you know, more accolades for it as, as a, as a fan, I, I'm still okay with that. But uh, yes, be on the lookout for the Sharon high school Eagles. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over again? Ask more questions. I think there's two aspects to that. I think one aspect about that is I was never afraid to ask questions, but I almost felt like it was my responsibility, no matter what level I was at, that to go figure out the solution, go off and and figure it out, right? And what I realized is like, People are open and why don't you just ask more questions and you would also get more perspectives if you asked more questions. And then I think, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself and it was like, well, if I just asked that question, then you would you would understand different perspectives. And I, I think the other thing is that that I think about about asking more questions is sometimes it, it's the reverse and that, you know, I, I form an opinion very quickly. Right. And so I say, okay, I I need to know this solution. I need to make a decision quickly. And if I actually asked more questions to understand what, you know, what was driving the decision that needed to be made, understanding other perspectives, then I could potentially have gotten to a better place. So I, I would have always told myself, you know, ask more questions. There's no harm in asking questions, you know, whether it's to clarify things, to get a different perspective, or to really understand where others are coming from. Versus feeling you have to go off by yourself, solve it, and just come back and deliver. I agree with you. It's amazing how much context you might miss, too, without asking more questions. Yeah, there was actually, when I was in the field marketing role, uh, this this one sticks out in my mind. Um, I had been told, hey, it, this was a turnaround situation, right, in terms of really driving team culture. and really getting people who are all over the country, right, rallying behind one mission and and one vision. And I remember, you know, I was maybe 60 days, 30 days in, 60 days into this role, and I brought all my directs together. And I, of course, used a a motivational quotes from sports movies that I, I typically do that's like, you know, different scenes from Rudy and Miracle, and it's all about winning, right? And like how we need to come together and, and win. Because I was under the impression that like we just needed to motivate people to win. And I showed this video, which I was very proud of. And one of my team members actually said, Zach, like we all want to win, but no one's really defined what winning looks like for us. And it really struck me because I had just assumed, you know, in this trying to build a new culture, it was like, hey, let's motivate to win. But I hadn't asked the questions behind that. Like, I hadn't said, well, why is this situation going on, right? I just assumed that I could motivate and I could rally the troops. And it was really interesting when the question came up, well, we just don't know what winning looks like. Then that meant, okay, I'm going to spend time asking questions to understand what's behind that so that I could then deliver to the team, you know, what winning looks like, what are our measurements, what are our objectives, which seemed to be um, not clear, you know, prior to me taking that role. And had I asked those questions before me just assuming what was needed, you know, I think I would have been in a better space, but Regardless, I learned a ton from that. And uh, ever ever since that, you know, that meeting, which I'll never forget, you know, I realized to get other perspectives that, that you were talking about will just be more informative and, and help you get better answers. I want to ask you a kind of a silly question, but I like building my shopping list based on what people say sometimes. So uh, has there been an impactful purchase of, say, $100 or less for you in the last six to 12 months? I don't know if this will help you, <laughs> Okay, but you know, one thing, so, you know, my mother who, you know, my parents are, are role models and uh, fantastic be- human beings. And so 
my mother uh, last year during you know the pandemic, it was a milestone birthday. I won't say what what age. Uh, <laughs> she wouldn't like you saying that, birthday. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, prior to this, I was like, we've got to do a big a big party and things like that. And of course, we couldn't. Um, but I was with her then, and. I guess the most impactful purchase was I bought a bunch of balloons and I went on Party City and got a lot of decorations, the easy ones. And I woke up really early on her birthday, picked up the balloons, decorated while she was still sleeping the house that, you know, happy birthday signs all over. And while she couldn't have a birthday party or see all of her friends we originally wanted to, I, I think that was not a lot of money, right? And it was very impactful in terms of just feeling the love and like realizing, you know, just being with the ones that she loved uh, was most important. And so I don't know if that's necessarily going to be put on your shopping list, but it's always interesting about how do you get creative? And it's simple things like balloons and like, you know, signs that say happy birthday and waking up an hour earlier just to decorate and, and, you know, find different things that, that would make her happy is probably my my answer that I felt was impactful for her, impactful for me, was definitely under $100 and meant a lot uh, that, that we could celebrate it and we could do it in a fun and festive way when it, it was not the most easy time in 2020. It is a great example. And oddly enough, a month or so ago, we had the Party City CMO on the, on the show, on the podcast. And talking about how they adapted to the pandemic. And uh, this was one of the examples she used. So it's funny how it came full circle, even within our podcast. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> I have two last questions for you, a little bit more on the marketing front. Curious if there are brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and you know, I think I think there's uh, there's a couple. Um, one, and I, I don't know if you're familiar. Do you know anything about CoStar? Uh, it's an astrology app. No, I am not. I thought you were going to say the apartment people. The apartments.com, I think, is owned by a company called CoStar, too. But Oh, no. So CoStar, it, it's pretty awesome. And I, I, for one, I'll just say I have not been into astrology. But my friends and my boyfriend are. And so what it is, is you can basically get your entire astrology reading down to like based on the minute in which you were born and you can compare it's a, it's like social so you can compare your chart to friends you can check compatibility but what i really love about it is for i would especially for millennials right like astrology is is such a huge thing and for people like me who the second people start talking about signs and compatibility i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about CoStar's Instagram app, you know, on Instagram, they give situations that everyone can relate to. And then they talk about how every sign would react to that situation. So like I start to learn, you know, I'm an Aries and what does that mean in these situations and how does that compare to a Pisces or a Virgo? So it's helping me at dinner being able to have or on Zoom having conversations about it. So CoStar is really, a, it's an interesting app. And, and once again, it's, it's, it brings a social network dynamic to it. And it almost like makes it easier to understand for those that are like, I'm not reading my horoscopes every day. I'm not taking it so seriously, but it's very fun. It's witty. And I think they've done a, a really good job. And it's so funny because you read it and you're like, Yep, that's me. Uh, when you start reading your site, you're like, yeah, I guess that is me. Um, so it, it's pretty interesting. You know, another one, um, you know, and this is a purchase that I have made is Masterclass. So, you know, during COVID, when you're home and it's an opportunity to learn. And, you know, this whole idea of learning from people who are the best in their business and snackable content and, and it's not too long. And, you know, you can pick so many different areas and you don't need to be if you're in business, yes, there's the art of negotiation, but hey, I'm a terrible cook, uh, but I want to get better. So why not, you know, watch watch a couple of these? So I, I think Masterclass, it's just interesting. I think it's pretty relevant in these times in order to broaden your your understanding and this, this, quirst, this thirst uh, for education. 
but in a really contemporary way and learning from people that are icons in the industry is just something that I think is is pretty pretty unique and and something that you know I hadn't thought about several years ago. I was like, I'm so busy doing this, and now I'm like, you know what? I have 30 minutes to learn about something, and you know what? Uh, you know, it, it broadens my horizons and and does so in a, a fun and entertaining way. It's an amazing business model too. I mean, I just thinking about it. Well, last question for you. What do you feel like is the largest either opportunity or the biggest threat that marketers are facing today? This might be somewhat controversial. I, I hope not, but it, it could be, you know, it could be an opportunity and a threat, right? And it's, it's this whole idea about data. And so it, as marketers, we're getting more and more data. We're understanding how our campaigns are performing in real time. Direct-to-consumer brands definitely understand, you know, a lot of purchasing dynamics and and what's working and what's not. And, and you can optimize and continue to use data. And I think, once again, the reason why it's controversial is I'm fully behind data-informed marketing and data-informed decisions. We just cannot forget the human element in this, right? And so there is human empathy. The consumers are people. And so the best people use data, but it's data, it's art, there's an art to it. And also you need to really make sure you're connecting with, you know, use the data to help optimize, but data can't dictate everything that you do in marketing. And so making sure you can still understand, you know, what are motivations, what are drivers, what are unmet needs of consumers? Data can help you, but really just making sure you understand the psychology and the consumer behavior I just don't want us as an industry over relying on data. That's when it becomes a threat to, are we able to engage in the right way? Are we able to really make sure we understand our consumers fully and understand how we can reach them with our brand? So huge proponent of data, think we can use it in the right way, but want to make sure that we are we're not eliminating other parts of, of marketing in terms of the psychological aspects, the understanding and the empathy in order of thinking about our brands and, and our businesses. I agree with you. And I, I, I fear that the bad marketers, so to speak, quote unquote, will squander the opportunity to actually you know, steward that data in the appropriate way and, and make sure it's used the right way and, and in the right context, to your point. Like it's not everything, but it can be extraordinarily useful. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate what you do for the industry and talking to leaders in, in all different areas of marketing. I, I've learned a lot from it, and it's, it's really great to connect and uh, be able to talk about my own experience. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.